Hey, before I get started this morning, I want to say happy birthday to my son-in-law. He's shaking his head. No, he didn't want me to do that. But I want to say happy birthday to Luke. Hey, I'm not asking everyone to sing. So at least give me this. Also, again, let me emphasize next Sunday, April the 4th, we're going to have our sunrise service. And we hope everyone will come and be a part of that. We're going to get started around 6.45. We're going to be worshiping outside. If you've never been a part of it, it's absolutely awesome. We worship God as we watch the sun rise, and then as the sun starts coming up, we start talking about the sun, S-O-N, the Son of God, and His resurrection. And so it's an amazing day, and I hope you'll invite your friends and your family. If you're going to come and participate and share in the breakfast afterward, we would ask that you would sign the sheet out in the foyer so that we can kind of know, you know about how much food to fix. But it's a real special day, so we hope you'll come and be a part of it. If you're not able to make it to the 645 worship, we're going to offer a second worship at 1030, so you can come and be a part of that as well. But it's an awesome day. All right, well, last week we started talking about the greatest love story of all time. And basically, if you were unable to be here, I'm going to give you kind of a, a condensed version of it. It's found in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. It says, For God so loved who, church? The world that He did what? He gave, He sacrificed His one and only Son. And as you skip down to the bottom of this verse, we see that He did that so that the world could be saved. Not condemned, but so that the world could be saved. And so God sent His Son, and what we talked about last week, when He came to this earth, His Son was betrayed, He was abandoned, He, would de he was denied by those who were closest to Him. He was also falsely accused. He was blindfolded, He was spat upon, and even punched. Why? Because He loves us. That much. He would go through all of that because of his love for you and me. And man, that should cause each and every one of us to break out in worship and praise for God. We're going to continue that story today because really we didn't get to cover everything last week. So if you got your Bibles, you can look at Luke chapter 23. We're going to start reading in verse 13. Then Pilate called together the leading priest and other religious leaders along with the people, and he announced his verdict. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and find him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. So, I will have him flogged, and I will have him released. Okay, so let's stop right there. And again, if you were unable to be here last week, we talked about how Jesus was arrested in the garden, and He was brought before this Jewish council. And they had all these false witnesses set up. 
to make all these false accusations about Jesus and their, their stories didn't even match. But it got to the point to where they decided that Jesus was guilty. And so they took him to Pilate, the Roman governor, because they wanted him put to death. Well, when Jesus comes before Pilate, this Roman governor, he examines him and he can't find that Jesus has done anything worthy of the death penalty. And so he goes out and he tells the crowd, he says, look, I've, I've found Jesus to be innocent. And they began to say, no, he's done this and he's done that. He's been, he's been causing trouble ever since he came out of Galilee. And Pilate hearing that says, wait a second, he's from Galilee? Well, he's not even in my jurisdiction. That's Herod's jurisdiction. And so he sends Jesus to Herod. And when Jesus gets to King Herod, Herod examines Jesus. He can't find anything you know, worthy of, of killing Jesus for. And so he decides, well, you know, I'll put a purple robe on him and I'll bring him before my soldiers and I'll mock him and ridicule a little bit, ridicule him a little bit, and it'll be funny and, and then I'll just send him back to Pilate. And that's what he does. And that's where we pick up in our story today. Jesus is brought back before Pilate. And Pilate brings him before the crowd and he says, look, what do you want me to do with him? He said, I examined him and I found him to be innocent. And then I sent him to Herod and, and, and Herod found him to be innocent. And, and so he's now sent him back to me. What do you want me to do? And so finally he says, i tell you what. He says, I'll have my soldiers take him out back and I will have them beat the fire out of him. I'll have Jesus flogged. And we pick up reading about this in John chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. It says, Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tip whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put a purple robe on him. Hell, king of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Now, if you're following along with me in your notes this morning, this would be number one, Jesus was flogged. And some of you may be asking the question, well, what exactly is that? What is a flogging? What is a scourging? And so let me explain that. A prisoner would be stripped of his clothing at least down to his waist. And then he would be stretched over a stump or a post where his hands would be secured in two rings on the opposite side so that there would be no possibility of escaping the beating. Then they would take this wooden handle that was somewhere between 18 and 24 inches long which usually had leather straps attached to the end of it and at the end of those straps there would be pieces of sharp metal or stone or even bone. And then the soldier would stand back and with all his weight and with all his might, he would lay those straps across the prisoner's back again and again. And those straps would oftentimes wrap around the chest of the individual, opening wounds, even, even pulling out chunks of flesh. Now it was forbidden by law to beat a prisoner to death. And so the Romans would literally beat you 
to the point of death. And that's what Jesus went through because of his love for you and me. They took Jesus out and they flogged him. They just absolutely beat him apart. In fact, Isaiah records in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14, but many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know that he was a man. That's what Jesus experienced. He was so badly beaten that you could hardly recognize that he was a man. And then Pilate brings him back before the people. Because here's what Pilate was hoping. He was hoping that he could have Jesus severely beaten and then he could bring him back before the crowd and after seeing him, after seeing how bad he, would, he had been beaten, the crowd would look at Jesus and say, okay, that's, that's enough. We don't have to go any further with this. But instead, look at Luke 23, starting in verse 18. Then a mighty roar rose from the crowd. And with one voice they shouted, Kill him. And release Barabbas to us. Barabbas was in prison for taking part in insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. Now, for those of you who have never heard this story before, this may seem kind of odd. Who is this guy, Barabbas, and why is he trying to release him? Well, there was a tradition, a custom during the Passover where the Roman government would actually release one, one prisoner back to the people. Now, whether this was a Jewish custom or whether this was a Roman custom, we really don't know. We just know that it happened. And so here is Pilate, and he, he realizes that Jesus is innocent, and he wants to set him free. And so he says, listen, it's, it's the Passover. I'm going to release one prisoner back to you. Had you rather have Barabbas, who is a murderer, or had you rather have Jesus? And, and, and he's hoping, man, they're going to look at Jesus and they're going to see how severely beaten he is. And they're going to choose Barabbas or choose Jesus, but rather they chose Barabbas, which shows us how much animosity they had for Jesus. Then in verse 20, it says, Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Now some of you may be wondering, well, why is Pilate fighting so hard for Jesus? He's not a Jew, he's, he's a Roman, and, and so, I mean, why is he fighting so hard for Jesus? And, and I think one of the reasons why is because of his conscience. He knew that Jesus was innocent, and, and he really didn't want to put him to death. But also, if you look at Matthew's account, Pilate's wife sent him this message. Matthew chapter 27, verse 19, Leave that innocent man alone. I have suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. 
And so imagine your pilot. You know that Jesus is innocent, and now you're being warned not to have anything to do with him because he's innocent. And so he's trying everything he can to have Jesus released. But as you get into Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 23, it says, But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified. And their voices, what church? Prevailed. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to death as they demanded. As they had requested, he released Barabbas, the man in prison for insurrection and murder. But he turned Jesus over to them to do as they wished. Pilate sentenced Jesus to die. But ultimately, Pilate wanted to wash his hands of Jesus. In fact, as you look at Matthew's account, he brings out a bowl of water and he says, I wash my hands of this innocent, innocent man's blood. In other words, I just want you guys to understand that this is not my decision. But actually it was, wasn't it? Pilate had a, a chance to put a stop to it all. And as I read this, I thought to myself, are, are we ever tempted to do the same? Do we ever try and come up with some way of not being guilty for what we've done? Because that's what Pilate was trying to do. Well, I couldn't help it. I mean, my, my boss was really pressing me, and, and my friends were really putting a lot of pressure on me. I mean, you, you just don't understand my situation. You don't understand the environment that I grew up in. Listen, it's not my fault. But ultimately, it's our decision. It's our choice. It's our sin. Well, Pilate, even though he knows it's not right, he sentences Jesus to death by crucifixion. In other words, Jesus was innocent. But Pilate had him sentenced to death. John 19, 16 through 17 says, Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went to the place called Place of the Skull in Hebrew, Golgotha. Here's point number three. Jesus was forced to carry his cross. And I, I try and imagine this in my mind. Now, Jesus more than likely did not carry the entire cross because that would have been somewhere around 300 pounds. And so more than likely, it was the cross beam, which would have weighed somewhere between 75 to 125 pounds. 
And this was really something that the, the Romans loved to do to their prisoners, to their, to their criminals. They would have them carry that cross beam to the cross because again, it put the focus on the criminal. And it was to, to cause people to see the torture and the anguish that they were going through so that people would be deterred from ever wanting to commit a crime against the Roman government. And so Jesus is forced to carry His cross. And imagine, if you will, that cross beam, that rough wood sliding across His beaten, severely beaten shoulders and back, just reopening those wounds. And it gets to the point where He can't carry it anymore. In fact, in verse 26... They grab a man by the name of Simon who was from Serene, who was coming in from the countryside. The, the soldiers seized him and they made him carry Jesus' cross. And then we skip down to verse 32. There's so much that we could look at here and talk about. But as we get down to verse 32... It says, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And so Jesus is crucified between two criminals as if he himself was a criminal. Some of you may be wondering what the crucifixion was like. To give you an idea, the prisoner's arms would be extended along the cross beam. And then the soldier would place his knee on the criminal's forearm to prevent any pulling away from the terrible pain as the soldiers drove the nail through his hands and his feet. Then the cross was slowly lifted upward and the weight of the entire body fell on the nails. Also, the crucifixion position made every movement and breath excruciatingly painful. The lacerated veins and the crushed tendons throbbed with continual anguish. And to add to all that, there was the intolerable pain of burning and raging thirst. And as we continue to read, after he was hung on the cross, the soldiers began to gamble for his clothes. Imagine that for a moment. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and these soldiers are gambling for his clothes. They're coming up, and they're mocking him. And then Jesus prays this prayer. Verse 34, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. I don't know about you, but man, that, that makes me feel so good when I read this passage. 
Because there are times when I think about my own life and I think about the bad things that I've done in my past and, and I'm tempted to go back and dwell on, these, on those things and I feel so guilty and I feel so shameful about the things that I've done in the past that I even begin to question in my mind, could God really forgive me of these things? And then I read a passage like this, and man, it's so comforting because I know if Jesus could ask for the forgiveness of the very people who nailed Him to the cross, then I know that Jesus can and will forgive me of anything and everything I've done. And that feels so good. And it goes on, Luke 23, starting in verse 35, the crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. Do you, do you notice a theme here? Everyone is mocking Jesus. The crowd, the soldiers... Even one of the criminals who's hanging beside Jesus. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you have ever been mocked or ridiculed? How many of you would say that during that time when you were being mocked and ridiculed, even though you had the power to get even, you just sat there and you took it. Let me tell you something. Jesus just sat there and He took it. He had the power. He talks about it in Matthew chapter 26, verse 53, how He could have called thousands of angels to come and, and protect Him. But instead, he, he allowed them to nail Him to a cross. Why for you and me? Because of His great love for you and me. You see, they didn't understand. They began to mock Him, saying, if you are the Son of God, save yourself. But had Jesus saved Himself, had He come down from the cross, we would still be lost. And we would still have to pay for all our sins. Picking up in verse 40, it says, But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God? Even when you've been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Imagine this scene. You have one criminal who's mocking Jesus. And the other criminal speaks up. And he says, what are you doing? We deserve to die. We deserve this. But, but Jesus has done nothing. Which the application that I get here is this. The criminal on the cross, he recognized his own sinful. We deserve this. We're guilty. And let me tell you something. That is the first step to being saved is recognizing that we are all sinners and we are lost without Jesus. But then also the criminal on the cross says to Jesus, remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. In other words, the criminal on the cross believed that Jesus was the Christ. That He was who He claimed to be. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Picking up in verse 44. It says, by this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. And so as Jesus is dying on the cross, all these miraculous things were taking place from 12 till 3 in the afternoon. There was no light. It went completely dark outside. And, and this veil that was in the temple, it was completely torn in half. It was torn in two. Some of you may say, well, what's the significance of that curtain? Well, it was that curtain that separated the people from the Holy of Holies. It separated the people from the very presence of God. No one was to go in there except for the priest, and he could only go in there once a year. And he would have to cleanse himself before he would go in. And, and they would even take a rope and they would tie it around him just in case he died in the presence of God. They couldn't go in and get him. And so they'd just have to drag him and, and pull him out. He didn't dare come into the presence of, of Almighty God. But now because of what Jesus did on the cross... There's no more curtain. God says you can now have direct access because of me. We don't have to go before a priest. We can come before the very throne of God because of Jesus and His sacrifice. Well, look what happens next. Verse 46. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit in your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw all that had happened, he watched church. 
He worshiped God and said, surely this was an innocent man. And so here you had this centurion, the very man who was a part of, of nailing Jesus to that cross. He is watching everything unfold, and he says, surely this man was a righteous man. Surely this man hasn't done anything wrong. If you look at some of the other Gospels, he's quoted as saying, surely this was the Son of God. And I don't know how you picture this scene kind of playing out. I always pictured this centurion, this guy who was involved in the killing of Jesus. I just always imagined him after he realized what he had done that he took part in the death and the crucifixion of Jesus, just being like, man, what have I done? How could I have done this? But instead, when he realizes who Jesus is and what he's done, what does the centurion do? He worships God. Some of your translations may say he prays God. And the verb there literally means he kept on praising. Why? Because for the first time he realized who Jesus was. Let me ask you this morning, do you understand who Jesus is? Do you realize that Jesus, the Son of God, He came to this earth... And he sacrificed his love, or he sacrificed his life for you and me, out of, out of love for you and me. Some of you are, are probably going to think I'm, I'm crazy, but I came up here this morning and I started going over this lesson. And as I was getting to the very end, where we're at right now, the sun began to rise and the sun began to come through these windows. And this picture that I took really doesn't do it justice, but this is what popped up on that wall right over there. I don't know if you can see it. You, you can look back at the TV. It actually looks better uh, to me back there. But here I am. I am finishing up going over this lesson. And on that wall right over there is this huge heart. <laughs> and I don't even know how I'd form a heart out of those, those windows. But yet it was just another reminder of the love of God for mankind. I told you to write these words down last week because this is what I want you to remember as we go through this lesson. Jesus in my place. J.D. Greer says Jesus didn't just die for us. He died instead of us. All of those things that we've talked about for the last two weeks are absolutely terrible. I can't even imagine going through what Jesus went through, and yet that's what I deserve. 
And that's what you deserve. But Jesus, in His great love for us, He came and He took our place and He paid for our crimes with His blood. And today, man, I hope that that causes you to break out in praise for God. And we're going to stop right here because here's the deal. The story is still not over. And so we're going to pick up next week right here. And really, we're going to talk about the best part of the story. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for all that you've given us. We thank you for Jesus, the greatest gift of all. Father, we just pray that as we go back over this story, maybe one that we've heard a thousand times, that we will be reminded that we will be, or become rather, refocused on you that we'll grow in love for you as you continually love us. Father, we just pray that you will help us to live out that love in our life. Help us not to just follow a, a bunch of rules because we have to or because we are scared to be punished, but because we truly love you because when we truly love someone, we don't want to do what they hate. And so, Father, we're just asking you to help us to grow more and more in love with you every single day. And we know, Father, we're that dependent upon you that that can't happen without you. And so, Father, we're, we're asking, we're begging you to help us grow more in love with you. And we are so thankful for your love. And, Father, we just... We want to come before you today, and I know there's some this morning that need to, to lay down some sin before you, and they need to repent of it. They need to turn away from it. It may be that they've been doing it for years, and, and it's a struggle, and they feel, they feel bound and, and shackled by that sin. Father, I just pray that you would free them from it today. Help them through the power of your Holy Spirit to be able to let those things go and live for you. Father, if there's anyone here today who, who needs to put on Christ in baptism, claiming Him as their Lord and Savior, having all their sins completely washed away, Father, we pray that You'll help them to have the courage to step forward and confess the great name of Jesus. We just pray, Father, that for all of us, You would continue to work on us, mold us, and help us to grow to be more like you. And it's in the power of Jesus' name we pray this prayer. Amen.